When we look back on 2020, it will be defined by COVID-19. Given the superlatives thrown at it in recent years, isn't it a bit surprising that artificial intelligence has been conspicuously incapable of contributing much to tackling it? My name is Matt Hatton. This is The Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. One of the prevailing trends over the last couple of months has been for experts on the technology sector to pitch in with their opinions on the treatment and impact of COVID-19. I don't want to do that. I prefer to leave the medicine and the epidemiology to the experts. In this current crisis, the engineers should really focus on building ventilators and perhaps 3D printing masks. But there are areas of our technology research at Transformer Insights where we can consider the impact of COVID-19. Today, I want to look at two. How good AI has been at finding a cure for coronavirus and how the Internet of Things has been affected. Given the tremendous amount of coverage that AI has received in the last few years, it's worth digging into the extent to which it's been able to help with the biggest human problem of many years, COVID-19. Mastering chess and Go are all very well, but if AI is there for anything, it's to solve existential problems for the human race, not to be really good at board games. There are some high points in AI's use for tackling covid but largely it flags up the inherent deficiencies. We start naturally with the medical, and probably the number one ultimate priority is finding a cure. This takes two forms. Firstly, drug repurposing. Think of the apparent success that the combination of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine seems to have had. Companies like Benevolent AI are looking at what existing drugs can do, and have identified baricitinib, a drug used to treat arthritis as a potential treatment. The company analyzes scientific literature to identify links between genes, drugs, viruses and transmission vectors, and therefore likely effective treatments for COVID-19. Then at the molecular level, you have the likes of in silico medicine, focused on designing molecules to halt replication. Others are using AI to develop new drugs. One process that looked really interesting was the use of reinforcement learning to break down molecules known as inhibitors to similar viruses into constituent elements and test against likely characteristics of something that may help against COVID-19. The main problem with all of this is that of finding sufficient training data which deep learning algorithms need in order to be effective. The problems here are manifold. There is very little data on the specifics of treatment and diagnostics. Testing is not widespread and the virus is often symptomless. There are also suspicions of improper reporting in some countries. It also doesn't help that the virus is mutating. For deep learning to be effective requires a high degree of continuity or a hell of a lot more data. Also immediately pressing, possibly more so, is the need for cheap and effective diagnosis. Typically tests such as reverse transcription polymerase chain reaction are the standard approach, but these are slow and cumbersome. Much quicker is the use of AI to do image pattern recognition to spot telltale signs on scans of the lungs, as done by companies such as InfoVision. 
While it's not perfect, it is significantly quicker. Existing data sets from previous viruses seemingly can be used as training data, as was the case with training a model at Renmin Hospital at Wuhan University. Alibaba Group has demonstrated 96% accuracy with its AI application for analysis of COVID-19 CT scans and was able to deal with one scan every 20 seconds versus 15 minutes for a person. There are promises also of non-invasive diagnosis, but nothing that has yet materialised. What's needed to support all of this is a good mechanism for sharing as much data as possible. The COVIDnet Open Access Neural Network, developed by the University of Waterloo and Darwin AI, offers one example. Sharing a dataset of thousands of chest scans to anyone who wants to help in the development of an AI tool. One lesson we can take away from this, perhaps, is to have a better universal source of data under the auspices of the World Health Organization or a similar body. AI may have a role to play in predicting patient outcomes once someone has been diagnosed with a severe case requiring hospitalisation. There are over 20 million diagnosed cases worldwide. In the EU, 30% have been hospitalised. This means we have potentially hundreds of thousands of data points. According to some of the research that we've done at Transformer Insights, less than 30% of AI deployments have access to such a large training set. Of course, the dynamics of every use case are different, so one application might require a million pieces of training data, whereas another might need only a few hundred thousand. But there's reason to be optimistic. There is also a slightly ghoulish question of what such a prediction of outcomes might be used for. Is it for resource allocation? Targeted preemptive action? Or triage? The use of AI to support epidemiology has also been attracting a lot of attention such as three companies like Blue Dot. There are some established areas with existing datasets upon which AI might be trainable. For instance, modelling the impact of warm weather on respiratory diseases or understanding how transmission might occur within hospitals. There is a lot of hypothesis and supposition. What's certain is that AI is not a magic wand. Especially with epidemiology, but also with the other areas identified, what's generally needed is first some old-fashioned science, and more traditional epidemiological modelling. Moving away from the medical world, there's a whole load of existing non-medical systems upon which AI will already have been trained that might be tweaked to offer some benefit in dealing with the fallout or mitigating the effects of the virus. Complex systems such as social media, airline booking systems or population movements are well understood and could be used to track trends, for instance predicting how the virus might spread into new territories, or how well government information is being distributed. The big challenge is that most of these systems are not working within their usual parameters due to the virus's impact. Might AI also be used to stabilise financial markets? After all, trading bots are widely used in equity trading. Unfortunately, and much more likely, it's probably been doing quite the reverse. Throwing a curveball at the market, the like of which it's never seen before, and expecting trading bots to comprehend and act on the information is, shall we say, hopeful. Humans are inherently better placed to cope with the unknown. COVID-19 exposes a number of weaknesses in AI. For instance, AI does not cope very well with new things. And COVID-19 is very definitely a new thing. By the time we get sufficiently good data for AI to be broadly useful, we'll probably be over the hump. AI also tends to lack imagination. Human intervention is definitely required 
to help shape AI responses to novel events. I suspect that we'll end up learning more about AI from COVID-19 than vice versa. Turning from one incredibly sexy technology topic, AI, to another, IoT, here it's not so much a case of whether it can have an impact as what impact COVID would have on the IoT. I mentioned in last week's podcast that COVID had stimulated demand but inhibited supply. I think it's worth digging into that a little more. At Transformer Insights, we've built a really granular set of IoT market forecasts, which we comprehensively revised in the last few months. Being able to pick apart the impact on hundreds of different applications means we can see where the pain is likely to be felt and which sectors will be relatively unscathed. The first thing to note is that in percentage terms, the impact is relatively small. Our pre-outbreak forecast predicted $524 billion in total IoT revenue for 2020. We revised that downwards by 7% to $487 billion in our post-outbreak forecast. That's still a growth relative to 2019's $465 billion, although it's much more modest than previously expected. Looking at the difference between hardware and services goes a long way to explaining why. Three quarters of the impact is on hardware. Non-recurring revenue is much more sensitive to downturn and records an overall decline compared to 2019. The impact isn't limited to the $37 billion knocked off market revenues in 2020. There will also be a ripple effect through the next few years, meaning a total revenue reduction of $65 billion. By 2024, things will be roughly back to previous modelling, though. The hardest hit segments are building automation because people aren't spending time in offices, so new schemes are being delayed. Retail, because people aren't out spending and connected cars, the latter partly due to a drop-off in sales and new vehicles, and partly because people just aren't sitting in vehicles, and so don't need their connected car services. The most significant contributing factors behind the early disruption have been the constraints to both supply and demand caused by the response to COVID-19. Lockdown measures introduced in many countries have rendered large amounts of commercial space unused and consequently reduced the spend from many sectors. Supply has been limited by a drop in manufacturing output, supply chain disruption, and limits on the number of deployments that have been possible. The overall economic impact is likely to be huge. High levels of unemployment are likely to cause a tightening of household budgets. Over 40 million Americans have sought unemployment benefit during the pandemic, for instance. Government responses will vary. Some countries will introduce austerity measures, while others will look to invest in public works projects. The EU has recently announced more than $1 trillion in financial stimulus packages for member states. Similarly, China has announced $400 billion for local government to spend on infrastructure. These schemes will no doubt prompt investment in IoT as part of infrastructure projects. Both of them explicitly mention investment in 5G infrastructure, accelerating the adoption of 5G in IoT devices. Undoubtedly, some of this investment will make its way to expanding smart grid capabilities. Other likely schemes include smart city initiatives, as well as transport infrastructure. 
Behavioural changes will also play a significant role in changing IoT investment patterns in the coming years. The first half of 2020 has seen a huge increase in remote working and a vast reduction in travel. It's unclear as yet the extent to which it will stick, but such a shift would reduce the need for vehicles, both public and private, as well as building automation systems for office space, but would also encourage spending on home office equipment and consumer IoT as workers spend more time in their homes. A sustained de-urbanisation might also occur, which might reduce the need for investment in public transport and smart city infrastructure, and would encourage investment from network providers outside urban areas. The nightmare for a market forecaster is the unprecedented. And we live in the year of the unprecedented. We try to take our best guess of what will happen in the next few years, but currently there is more uncertainty than ever before. The reductions that we have had to make to our 2020 forecasts have been borne out by the limited amount of real-world statistics that we're able to gather. Cellular network-connected devices represent only a very small fraction of world IoT devices, but the companies that sell them, AT&T, Vodafone and so forth, are pretty good at tracking shipments, some on a quarterly basis. As of today, three major global operator groups have published figures for the second quarter of 2020, AT&T, Orange and Telefonica. All of them show an impact. Telefonica recorded a negative quarterly growth in Q2, which is almost unheard of. It was down 400,000 connections compared to a 900,000 connection growth in Q1 and 1.4 million in Q4 2019. This was almost all due to Brazil and largely payment terminals. With payment terminals, there's very little lag between economic downturn and reduced numbers of connections. Orange also suffered, seeing its quarterly growth fall from 500,000 in Q1 to 200,000 in Q2. AT&T's quarterly growth fell from 3.5 million to 2.3 million. But I think for them, the worst is yet to come. Fully half of AT&T's business is for connected cars, which as mentioned when looking at the overall forecast, have been hit hard. I suspect there is a lag factor which will delay the drop in shipments into Q3, Q4 and even into 2021. I want to leave you with a final thought. It's from Ray Kurzweil, the American inventor. Very interesting guy, check him out. In 2001, he proposed that the rate of technological progress was accelerating at an exponential rate, meaning that in the 21st century, we would see not 100 years of progress, but 20,000 years. I'll say that again, 20,000 years of progress. The world is moving fast and it's driven by technology. We see the impact clearly in the business world. Every company is becoming a technology company and a company's IT strategy is now almost indistinguishable from its broader strategy. And that was before COVID-19 hit. Whether for better or worse, COVID will certainly have an impact on that prediction. 
many companies are doing many different things that they otherwise wouldn't have done in the face of COVID-19. But it's not a digital transformation if it doesn't stick. It's contingency planning. And it'll be many years before we really know what the impact has been of COVID-19. In next week's podcast, I'll be zooming out to a 20,000 foot view of technology, looking at the idea that true innovation depends on the separation of software and control layers from the hardware layer. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com. Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton, and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI, and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton, and you can check out transformerinsights.com. That's transformer with an A.